I'm Kevin Rod, and welcome to Series 3 of my podcast about long-distance walking in the UK, Walk This Way. I'm hoping to inspire people to take the challenge of walking one of the UK's 1,500 designated long-distance paths, or LDPs. I've set myself a challenge of walking an LDP in each of the 38 counties in England. As you would have heard in my previous series, by the summer of 2021, I had completed five counties, Oxfordshire, Essex, Buckinghamshire, Warwickshire, Worcestershire. Series 3 is all about a county famous for having the first little chef and inventing snooker. Throughout this podcast, I'll be using notes from my diary as well as snippets of recordings that are made along the walk to tell the story of the walk and the county that I'm in. I'm hoping to communicate the joy and sense of achievement that you can get from walking an LDP and to inspire you to search the internet and to find an LDP near you. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, and let's walk this way. Series 3, Episode 1, Wild Horses. So the county I'll be walking through this series is Berkshire, or to give us its full title after 1957, the Royal County of Berkshire, sandwiched between Hampshire to the south and London to the east. The border is only 20 miles from home, so it seemed like the appropriate next county to tackle on my list of 38. With the county sorted, my next step was to choose an LDP to walk. There wasn't an obvious contender, but after considering my own rules, as set out in Series 1, Episode 2, I set my sights on the Lambourne Valley Way, which was a 22-mile LDP from Newbury up to the very north of Berkshire and the famous White Horse in Uffington. The LDWA website described the route as Easy Downland Riverwalk. After a bit of head-scratching, I worked out the logistics. I'd camp at Longcott, just north of Uffington. Yep, no luxury B&B on this walk. Get a taxi to Donington Castle on the outskirts of Newbury, and then walk the Lambourne Valley Way to the Uffington White Horse, and then onwards back to the campsite. Total mileage estimated to be 24 miles, with an elevation gain of 896 feet. So, logistics sorted, campsite booked, the ramble was scheduled for July 2021. So this walk was going to be a group effort, so let the team introduce themselves. Although you hear one of them hadn't quite worked out that podcasting was an oral experience, and another was hoping that we were walking in a different county. Welcome. Uh, so we should take a register first. Uh, Kieran. Oh hi. Here. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? I'm just waving. Uh, Andy. Hello. Tom. Here. Murray. Here. I just want to say that. It's about the Concord's niche niche joke. Okay. Right. So for the purposes of the uh, audience, um, could you each maybe in turns could you say your your name? what your walking experience is, and your knowledge of Berkshire. So uh, let's go with Andy. <laughs> Maybe let's not go with Andy. He's can't compose himself. Uh, so, Tom. So, Tom. Tom's the most sensible. Uh, I've given you a name by then. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, my name's Tom. Um, my experience of walking is that I've been walking all my life. Well, since about age one, I guess. What age do people start walking? Maybe one. Uh, Hiking in the in the 
in the way that we're planning to do. Um, not really since I was about 18, something like that. I did a bit of hiking in my teens, um, but not since then. Uh, knowledge of Berkshire, um, none really. Reading is the capital of Berkshire, I think. That's, a, that's as much as I got. Okay. Well, you got lots to learn then. That's good. All right. Very good. Uh, participant number two. <laughs> what was your name? Where'd you come? What points you at you? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, okay. A name, hiking experience. I'll change it. Okay. A knowledge of Berkshire. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Andy. And I have done quite a bit of hiking in, in my days. I've, I've done some hiking abroad in the Alps and in Nepal and in Patagonia. So I've had a bit of experience of hiking long distances over multiple days. Um, I don't think I've done a LWP, LW long distance. LDP. What is it? LDP, I think. LDP. I haven't done an LDP yet. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I have very limited knowledge of Berkshire. I thought, I thought, I, I thought we were doing a different one. But Berkshire's good. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what count do you think we were doing? I thought it was Buckinghamshire. You were all meeting, Andy. You must be next door. <laughs> I could, I could remember what I knew. I couldn't remember which one we were doing, but yeah, Berkshire's cool. And uh, I think, I think, doesn't the uh, Ridgeway go through Berkshire or parts of Berkshire? Is Goring in Berkshire? Goring is, yeah. Goring. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I think so. I've done a bit of the Ridgeway, which I think may go through part of Bar Barking. <laughs> Barking? That's in London, mate. <laughs> Great. Thank, thanks. Welcome, Andy. You sound like a pro, though, given your previous rambling experience. Okay. Um, participant number three. Hi. <laughs> My name is Kieran. Um, thanks, Kevin, for the introduction. The um, what? What are the questions again? What's your hiking? What's your name, Kieran? What's your hiking experience? Limited. And what's your knowledge of Berkshire? Limited. Although I think Abingdon used to be, I think Abingdon and the and the Thames, the Thames used to be the county line. Abingdon used to be the capital. Where's your fact check sign? When? I don't know when. I don't know the dates. Sorry. Quite recently, I think. Right. Um, there's something else I was going to say about Berkshire. Can't remember. That's it. It's done. Well, that's good. That gives me lots of scope for the Berkshire quiz because you're going to, when we go walking, because you're going to be blown away by the facts then. Okay. Does anyone know what's on the flag? Berkshire, the county flag. A dog barking. <laughs> I guess a, I guess a tree. Swan. A swan's a good guess. A bear. An axe. An axe and a bear. <laughs> swan attacking a bear with an axe. Okay. All right. All right. That was great. Thanks, guys, for the instruction. So uh, let, let's go on to the presentation first. If I can get it. There then followed a very informative PowerPoint presentation about the walk, including advice and top tips about how to walk 25 miles in one day, including this essential advice on trouser length. Um, so just some top tips for you in terms of what to bring. Long trousers. Now, not an obvious one. I know some people amongst us are very keen on short trousers, which is fine, but... Um, I find that we may go off piste and the grass may be quite long and stingers and stuff and therefore there is a high risk. Exactly. Andy, Andy question. I, I, I think Kieran beat me too. Kieran, question. Long trousers or shorts? No, like, this is my that. advice. 
for long trousers. And if you have wear shorts and you get stung, and, and then I'm not, again, not in short, so I'm just covering that now. I, I have, I have uh, zip-off trouser shorts, which I can highly <laughs> recommend. <laughs> so you get both, both, best of both worlds. Yeah, but what you have to sacrifice, Andy, in exchange for that <laughs> all dignity. It's like, it's like, yeah, some people th- would, would say they're not very cool, but I think the, uh, the trendiness, the, 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 the ease and uh, flexibility of having both knees out and knees in, or you can sort of do a half and half and just have your knees sort of poking out. If you're walking on the side of fields, like with long grass, you could have one leg down and then one leg could be open or could be off. Exactly, yeah. Now we shall see if that was good advice or not by the end of the podcast. And just before we finished, Andy raised a common question amongst ramblers, how to deal with a field of cows. Someone sent me a video about how to deal with a field of cows after my cow incident in Cornwall. I will share that with the group. You should share that. That would be good. Unless it's like... What was the main substance of the advice, Andy? Um, I I have yet to watch the said video. Oh, Maybe just save it until in that moment, then you should watch the video. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't don't be in this situation. It's the core thing. I think think the gist (laughs) of it is don't run, just walk very slowly. Don't Don't panic him. Yeah. It's easier said than done. Run at it screaming. (laughs) Well, one of you run at it screaming, the other three... Run the other, walk yeah. slowly the you don't other have way. to outrun the cows, you just have to outrun the slowest runner. Exactly. Better <laughs> start doing running then. I'm more like a long distance rambler rather than a short sprint artist. I need to work on that. Now, an old technique used by my dad on long distance walks in order to keep me and my brother entertained was to create quizzes for us. I thought I should have a quiz up my sleeve for the afternoon, just in case it was needed. So to set the quizzical tone for the series, here are three questions that will be answered during the podcast. What is included on the Berkshire flag? How fast can a horse run? And how many counties does Berkshire border? The plan was to arrive at the campsite the evening before the ramble. So on the afternoon before the walk, I had to do something that I'd never done before but was quite ubiquitous in 2021. The BBC weather app was showing worrying signs of weather. And as you'll note from my recordings, over the next 24 hours, I too was obviously very worried because I keep mentioning it lots and lots of times. So it's 29th of July, 2021. Sun is shining. Um, It's cloudy, but um, blue skies. Done my um, first ever lateral flow test. Seemed to go okay. Bit of a nervous 15 minutes wait, but luckily got the crystal clear, all clear, which was fab. So that's really good. The weather tomorrow is looking a bit ropey. It's kind of sunshine and showers, but with a bit of thunder thrown in as well. So hopefully we'll avoid the major showers by being in the pub, but you never know. So we shall see. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Picking Kieran up at uh, five-ish. And then the other lads are meeting there also about, should be there, getting there about six. Hope you get the tent up tonight, should be okay. And then taxi's all booked, lunch is all booked. So yeah, we're all sorted, all set. First recording of the day. It's uh, 
grey, drizzly, overcast. Lovely night's sleep last night. The pitter-patter of rain on the tent. Our taxi's arrived, but he's gone the wrong way to look for the Oxford Yurts. But hopefully he'll return and come back and find us in seconds. I think the team's all looking good, feeling confident. Eventually the taxi did find us, and we headed south to the start of the walk. It takes about 45 minutes to get to Donington Castle on the outskirts of Newbury. It's 8.50, 30th of July. The weather's stopped raining, but it's still looking grey and slightly windy. We are standing as a collective under, in Andy's words, slightly unimpressive Donington Castle, um, ready for the start of the Lambourne Valley Way. It's not much of a view. You've got trees, unfortunately, around. Oh, okay, guys, just pointed out if I look the other way, there is a bit of a view. Oh, yeah, nice view of Newbury, do we think, and cranes. It's a nice, like a line of cypress trees there, like it reminds me of France or something, or Italy. But Donington Castle is a very cute kind of just a small keep left of it, 14th century uh, castle, uh, free access. Oh, I can feel the sun coming out. It's like a warming golden golden glow on my face. The sun is out. So that's a good omen, I think, to, to get started. So, with a slight warming glow on our cheeks from the morning sun, the team left Donington Castle and headed northwest, past the golf course, over the A34, and through the village of Bagnall. So 1.3 miles into the walk, just stopped by a gate overlooking Bagnor Estate in the valley, and I think this is the valley we'll be following for most of the day. We'll catch up with the river, I think, soon. Uh, the River Lambourne, but it's over down to our, our left-hand side. I won't keep talking about the weather, but it's not, it hasn't rained yet. It's still grey, getting greyer. So far, good signage, quite well waymarked, which is good. The paths are clear. We're mostly on track so far, but um, we're having a two-minute refreshment, uh, re relievement stop. And heading on, yeah, straight along the valley to the next village of Boxford. Everyone all right? Not sure what's happened, but optimism has hit the team. As they're all pretty sun cream on. <laughs> you know. It's not raining. <laughs> so we just discovered our first vineyard of the day on the embankment of Hoare Hill. Uh, they don't look that quite on. They're not very on, do they, in terms of uh, ready for picking. So it's quite a big hill. Andy asked for a vineyard, so we've delivered that particular request. The vineyard was cleared in a good location, with the vines on a gentle slope facing southwest. It looked like they were building a fancy new facility as well. Now, as a dabbler in homemade wine, it was great to see the British wine industry looking so prosperous. Second piece of wildlife of the day, first a red admiral and then a bouncy bounding deer bounding ahead of us along the bridle way looking for a style or a signpost. The quietness of the Berkshire countryside had a short interruption. The piece of the countryside is broken by the sound of the M4. I think uh, going west is more popular than going east today. At 10.47, seven minutes behind schedule, we rest up in view of Welford House, famous as the location for the Great British Bake Off. Sadly, the snacks at this stop were not homemade. Kieran, being the cheeky chap that he is, continued to provide non-verbal signs of his happiness. At our first official break stop, the Welford Park Cookie Ground, uh, we are consuming a collection of Snickers cereal bars while looking across the view to Welford House, while swallows dance around the oak trees. 
in the field. So five miles in, how are we how are we all feeling? Kieran, give a visual representation of your kind of current. Kieran is one, yeah, two thumbs up, two and a leg, and a, <laughs> two thumbs and a leg. Tell you what, these Snickers bars are really tasty. Thank you, Mars, for that really tasty Snickers bar, which I'm really rather enjoying. Nutty, caramelly, with a hint of chocolate. It's lovely. I've known Snickers for a long time. That was not a sponsored insert. That was a free request for sponsorship. <laughs> so walking through the parkland of Welford, comes down to the edge of the field and um, enter another field and the sun has come out, blue sky. Um, the ground the farmers have to deal with is kind of very flinty, lots of big huge bits of flint. I'm never quite sure how they manage but we've passed lots of kind of arable fields and the field to my left now is beautiful wheat field, gorgeous gorgeous golden colour, ready I guess waiting to be harvested, waiting for the weather to turn, which would be perfect. Um, weather for harvesting. Although actually saying that, some of it is a bit green still, so maybe they need to wait a bit longer until it, it becomes properly ready for harvesting. So we're just coming up to the next village, which is Weston, quite a small little village with a quaint church. Again, we're now coming back down closer to the river, so to the right hand side is the river, and then in the horizon, over above the wheat fields, is dark, dark skies. But luckily we're not going that way. And there's a horse. First horse. First horse of the day. First white horse as well. Grey horse. So traversing the clear crystal waters of the River Lambourne was a delight along this early stretch of the walk. At the seven mile mark, just outside the village of Great Shelford, the heavens opened. But luckily, the village also contained the first refreshment stop of the day, and we take shelter in the aptly named the Great Shelford. Nice jazz so we're doing 7.3 miles in the Great Shelford, drinking Devonshire beer. We're a third of the way through. So let's have kind of an individual uh, performance update. Tom. Uh, feeling okay so far, slightly sore heels. Okay. But otherwise, good shape. Kieran. <laughs> Double thumbs up this time. The leg's not there, so he's, he's, he's regressing. Uh, any, 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 any verbalisation of your feelings? Feeling good. Okay. A little bit, that, on, yeah. the, on, the, on the sort of lower leg. I, I, the waterproof shoes are uh, proving. Uh, Let's talk us through your uh, talk us through your rambling shoes, Kieran. The rambling shoes. Yeah, what are they? The multi. Uh, the, they're um, they're some golfing shoes, I think. I refer to them as. And is it true that the first time they saw the golf course was? Today. Today. Yeah. <laughs> we walked over the golf course. I've had them for. Um, They're pretty nifty, actually. Uh, six years. Right. Andy, how are you feeling? Alright, my legs are a bit stingy from an encounter with some nettles. Have you given any advice that might help you avoid such stingy? Well, someone did suggest wearing trousers, but. Uh, yeah, what I are you like, wearing? I like. got zip off trouser shorts. Have you zipped them off? Yeah, I've zipped, zipped off the trousers. But, um, okay. So the white knight is the lighter one, and the rest of them are lighter. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Which one? Thanks very much. Right. We left the village of Great Shelford and headed up the valley along the way for the next two miles to the next village and our lunch stop. We powered from Great Shelford to East Garsington, powered by a beer, powered by the sunshine which has come out. Get ourselves close back onto the uh, published schedule, as we should now call it, rather than the official schedule. 
We're now in East Garsington, walked along a lovely valley along River Lambourne. Lots of butterflies darting in and out of the um, cow parsley. So we're now in the village of East Garsington. We need to just check where the pub is so we don't walk the wrong way. So I need to just stop now and think. Right, hang on. So good news, bad news update. Good news is we walked for the last two miles in sunshine. Now it's raining quite hard and we're in the uh, Queen's Arms. The bad news is they did have Lambourne Gold on tap, which I was quite excited about, but it's now gone. All we've got left is Juma. The classic. The classic. Ever um, ubiquitous Doom Bar, you might say. So I've ordered a pile of Doom Bar rather depressingly. As you walk further along the valley, things definitely get more horsey. The corner TV in the pub isn't showing football, but it's showing horse racing. And three locals are avidly watching the current race to see if their chosen horse is going to win. I also get the feeling that they might have a connection with one of the horses in the race. So after leaving East Garsington, the Lambourne Valley Way continues along the edge of the valley through utilising the old railway line that used to be here. So walking along the top with embankments either side under bridges no longer in use. And now walking past the back end of Eastbury, again, I'd imagine along the top of what used to be the railway line, heading onwards um, to Lambourne. So it's now 2.40. We've done over 10 miles now, over halfway to the dinner stop. There's still quite a way to go. Feeling okay. My hips are slightly sore. My feet, while slightly damp and wet, are doing okay. The Lambourne Valley Railway started life in 1898 some 50 years after the railway building frenzy of the 1840s. It was in service for some 60 years before it closed. The line was 12 miles long from Newbury to Lambourne and had nine stops along the way, many of which we passed along on the day's walk. The journey time was 40 minutes and interestingly today, by car, the journey now takes 25 minutes. After East Garston, the way continues along the side of a valley with lovely views down to the river and up to Haycroft Hill, away to the west. At this point, the West Barks Ramblers have placed a seat with a plaque referencing the Lambourne Valley Way. It recalls that the route was used for Christian aid-sponsored walks in the 1970s between churches of the valley. The long-distance path was officially established, as it says on the plaque, on the 11th of July 1992. We enter Lambourne with a village sign putting us in no doubt where we are, as it states, Welcome to the Valley of the Racehorse. Indeed, the first village shop we pass contains horsey and jockey livery, a red jockey's helmet with matching bobble and then red horse brushes. So I think now might be the good time in this podcast to have a chat with someone about horses and horse racing and Lambourne. Now, who better placed? Then Will Riggle, Operations Manager at Lambourne for the Jockey Club. I started by asking Will how he got into horse racing. I, I got a summer job at Market Raisin Racecourse, which is a little rural jumps track in Lincolnshire. 
with the Jockey Club and that led to a permanent position. And then I spent uh, three or four years at Warwick Racecourse where I was the head groundsman there. And now uh, I've been in Lambourne 12 years. Uh, this this role came up and I've been here um, ever since, yeah. So tell me about what your, so what your current role involves at Lambourne. I work for the Jockey Club, so I manage... 600 odd acres of gallops, public gallops in, in Upper Lambourne, in and around Upper Lambourne, where, where about 30 trainers descend on us every morning with about seven to 800 horses every day exercising. So wow. Think of it like a giant ski resort, Kevin, for horses. So except our slopes go uphill, <laughs> not downhill and there's hopefully much less snow around, but so it's like a ski resort and there are lots of little chair lifts to get the horses down the slopes. And in the rest of the Lambourne Valley, there are trainers, kind of gentlemen trainers who would have, who are big substantial land landowners as well and have their own gallops. They are Nicky Henderson, who's a royal, famous royal trainer, jumps trainer, uh, the Hills family, Charlie Hills and his father, Barry, uh, Clive Cox, who trains at John Frankham's land. And those guys have got their own gallops. They've got a couple of hundred acres and they've got their own gallops. So all in all, the valley would constitute about 1,500 to 1,800 horses within a kind of five-mile radius of Lambourne Town Centre, if you like. But we make up the bulk of that on the, on the uh, jockey club gallops. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in terms of the jockey club, you said a bit about it. Could you maybe explain about what the jockey club is and what their aims are and how they help contribute to horse racing in the UK? That would be really helpful. Um, the jockey club, Kevin, is is the largest commercial body in British horse racing. So um, it used to be uh, the regulator, um, like the the, fo- the FA, if you like. Uh, it gave up those powers uh, in the in the mid-noughties because it, it was seen as a conflict of interest that it, it couldn't own and operate racecourses and then uh, be the governing body as well. So a new organisation was created. But traditionally, the Jockey Club is thought of as, you know, from Charles II days in Newmarket as men having match gentlemen having match races and uh, abiding by the rules of the jockey club. So we're still known as that in some racing circles, quite frustratingly, but we're not. And then I, I work for Jockey Club Estates, who are the property and land managers of the of the, of the group, uh, who own two and a half thousand acres in, in Newmarket and property assets. And then here in Lambourne, where we have a more, more recent history, the jockey club bought the the gallops from a private family in 2007 when the gallops were quite run down uh-huh. and la- lacking investment and the jockey club bought them for the greater good of the sport so we're governed by royal charter so every penny we invest is is uh every penny we make is reinvested for the, into the sport uh be it through my gallops here or through prize money or through um, owners and trainers facilities at race courses etc etc for the greater good of the sport and we we bought the gallops and have since spent several seven figure sums here in improving the ski resort as you like improving the chairlifts and the infrastructure and why do you think so Lambourne itself obviously has a lot of rich history in terms of connection with horse racing why why Lambourne why do you think it's it started there and why is it maintained why why is it kind of important to the horse racing fraternity racing used to take place at Ashdown 
Ashdown House, there was a race course there, which was uh, had meetings in the kind of 1900s. And uh, there was a railway in Lambourne, which uh, mm-hmm. yeah. which helped. People used to ride their horses to the races, but then when the railway came along, they could uh, put them on the train and bring their horses here. So people would think nothing of riding a horse for three hours to get to the race. I mean, you wouldn't dream of that now. <laughs> the horse would be the horse would be exhausted before it even got to the race. So, and then uh, training, uh, training itself happened here with the Earl of Craven and the, the topography of the landscape lent itself very well to training horses and the, the, the turf here, we've got a very specific type of turf, very free draining turf. So we've got, you know, six, seven inches of topsoil and then it's straight on to flint and chalk, which makes it very free draining and you can use it all year round. Then the racing, the racing stopped when the when the railway gave up uh, in the fifties or the forties. Um, but the training, the training carried on and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, Lambourne was a real powerhouse in the nineteen in the seventies and eighties. Was uh, a real powerhouse of a of a training centre with some great jumps, titans of the game. Uh, Jenny Pittman, who was the first lady to win a Grand National as a trainer. Nick Gaisley won the Grand National with Party Politics in eighty nine. Back then, Cheltenham was a, not the commercial monster it is now, but it was a three-day festival, and most of those races would have come back to Lambourne. So you talked about the gallops, and obviously part of our walk when we went, so we started at Newbury and went up, and you go through, Lamb- as you will know, Lambourne, and it's quite impressive. You come up onto the downs, it kind of opens up, and you have these beautiful views across. Uh, and we walked along the gallops because it then carries on towards the, the White Horse and Uffington. So the gallops themselves, what a silly question, what are they used for? Well, there's a plethora of gallops and they're, they're very, as you as you rightly point out, Kevin, they're very typical of the landscape round here, where in the North Wessex AOMB here, well, you've got this fabulous landscape where you've got, it's like a millionaire's playground. It really is. You've kind of got these grass gallops intertwined with arable land and the beach clumps, lots of beach clumps, which are very typical of the landscape round here really special and then the white railings you know my I get excited when I see a white railing because it's very typical of the landscape and we've had character assessments done recently as part of the neighborhood plan we're writing a neighborhood plan with the parish council and and the white railings and you see the white railings and you know you know what that means that means race horses and it, it really is super so the gallops themselves Kevin yet yeah, we've got grass gallops swathes of grass gallops uh, intertwined in the landscape. Then we have what are called synthetic gallops, which are used when the grass isn't isn't suitable. So it might be that the grass is too firm or too soft or too or frozen. They use these synthetic surfaces, which are kind of three, four meter wide tracks cut into the landscape, often with railings, and and they're made up of a of a sand and and PVC granules and fibre content with with wax, with a wax coating, which makes them permeable and they drain through through an asphalt, an open textured tarmac base onto a limestone sub-base. So they can they can take rainfall very well and they don't freeze. And they for the trainers, they provide a very consistent surface for their 
for their horses to run on day in, day out. But turf, turf is still the preferred surface. You can't recreate turf in any way. And we've got about eight miles of these synthetic gallops um, in Upper Lambourne and plus miles and miles of, of, of grass gallops if you laid them all out in a, in, in, in a straight line. But in terms of in the morning, how long might a horse be out for on the gallops? Is it about an hour, an hour and a half? And then do they go every day? Horses are very complex animals anatomically and uh you know they weigh as much as a cow but they can run at 35 miles an hour um so speed which we keep speed to like one day a week where they'll go at, at real racing kind of pace and then the rest of the week it's just ticking over and keeping a horse keeping its anaerobic fitness up by going much steadier up our hills and we've got lots of hills here obviously uh they they go out um six days a week and then on a Sunday, they'll traditionally go in the walker. They'll have a, a, a lie-in, as it were, on a Sunday. But yeah, they'll exercise six days a week. So they come out from about half six in the morning to around um, um, 12 noon, half 12 every day. And the, the trainers come out in what, what are called strings or lots. So uh, depending on how big a trainer you are, you might have you know, if you've got 60 horses in training, you might do five lots of 12, for example. So they'll come out, horses get tacked up, jockeys bring their saddle and, and away they go. They come and get, they get to the bottom of the ski slopes. They, they go up the ski slopes uh, and then go back to the yard where they'll get fed and they've been mucked out. Their, their <laughs> hotel room has been mucked out while they were away. The whole thing happens again the following day. And uh, it's, a, it's a big industry, Kevin, around here. It's a huge employer, employs a wide range of people. So one in three of the working population in Lambourne are, are working directly uh, in, in the racing industry in one form or another. Racing's very proud of Lambourne and, and, and Lambourne's very proud of its racing heritage as well. You know, how important is gambling to horse racing? Some people will just associate horse racing with gambling. Make make no bones about it. It's a huge contributor financially to the to the sport. People um most people have like having a flutter if they're on a stag do or a hen do, and there's no harm in that yeah. whatsoever. Obviously, as with all things, there are uh, people who can take it a little bit too far. And the industry and the, the betting authorities are are working very seriously on that. Racing is aware of its its responsibilities, um, but the, the vast majority of people have have a lot of fun. Will budget themselves. Yeah, yeah, agree. And I um I have very fond memories of going up to the guys who kind of on the boards and then saying what you wanted a pound each way, and they'd give you a little ticket. And I remember as a kid having all these coloured little tickets and stuff, and it was uh, walking around with it, and it was fantastic. And if you went back and then. The guy would put the money in the kind of uh, duffel bag behind him. And then I know it's all different now, but it's, you know, contactless payments, et cetera. But it was kind of just funny. I hold that kind of engagement part of uh, interaction as part of the horse racing thing was a, was a bit that I really kind of loved. And I always try and do that. If I, do, if I go to horses now, I always try and go down to see the guys on the front rather than go in the office. So in terms of race courses, what's your, do you have a favourite race course? I I think um, I'm a I'm a jumping man. I I love the, I love the thrill of the jumps. And Cheltenham Cheltenham is the it's what Wimbledon is to tennis. It's Cheltenham is is just the most incredible natural amphitheatre there in in the Cotswolds and unique, just totally totally unique. Uh, and it's the unique ones that are special. Epsom is extraordinary course, completely unique. And and Aintree, how can we not mention Aintree? 
you know, the spruce, those iconic fences, the, the green fences. We, we all remember the first horse they had a flutter on in the Grand National, you know, um, or getting placed or picking the pin stickers guides that we get in the newspapers on the Friday, the office sweepstakes. And do, well, do people keep asking you for tips? Is that a constant thing? Do your friends keep texting you for tips or not? Uh, they, they they do ask me for tips. Uh and I, I am useless. I, I don't, I, I don't have a flutter at all. I don't. Uh, I, I couldn't tip a wheelbarrow, Kevin. I'm useless. Uh, um, yeah, no, don't, don't ask me for a, for a tip. That's for sure. <laughs> that's going to be my last question, though. It was great to hear from Will, who spoke so passionately about horse racing, and in fact he was off to Newbury Racecourse for a staff outing, which made me think about whether I might have a flutter on the GGs. So following my interview this morning with Will, I was inspired to think about, well maybe today, after the interview, I should put a bet on. So I have indeed put a bet on the 120 at Newbury, keeping it uh, Berkshire style. I have put some money on each way. He's a geezer. Like thinking about my Essex roots, um, he's currently what are his odds? He's currently oh, I've got to put him on eleven to four. Um, so I'm going to now have a listen in. He's live on the on the website. And they're off and racing, sent on their journey then over two and a half miles. And in the black silks with the pale blue cap, Russian ruler is the one to take them along in a reasonable clip early. Egbert still held up, and so too is he's a geezer there. Second and third last, respectively. As they Come on, Giza. Develops now into the back straight for the one and only time. Giza Giza's improved. They've still got themselves another seven flights of hurdles left to jump. And now they move on towards the home straight. In fourth, go on. Go on, Giza. They're followed through by He's a Giza back in fourth place. Russian ruler's got stay away play and He's a Giza under heavy pressure. As they come down towards the second last, the stage set here. Now, if you want to find out if he's a geezer won the race, please tune in to the next episode of Walk This Way, where we also discover if we manage to make it to the end of the walk before the sunset or before Kieran's shoes fail on him. So, please do join me for episode two as we continue to walk this way way. This has been a Daisy Rogers production on behalf of the Long Weekenders. The theme music is by Rock by Baby with incidental music by Quartermelon. You can find me and photos of the walk on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Long Weekenders and hashtag walk this way. The podcast is also available on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoyed it, give it a like or a share in order for others to discover this podcast. Radio Gold.